Hey, expats and travelers, welcome to this week's episode sponsored by WorldPost.io, the virtual mailbox service powered by Anytime Mailbox. We'll get to the features and benefits a little later. If you're interested in becoming an expat, whether you're moving to Portugal or another overseas location, I highly recommend you get your finances in order before you move. Yes, it's actually really important that you do it before you go. I know when we first got started, we did not do it that way. But if we knew John McNertney at Green Ocean Global, we would have gone to him as he's someone that is Lisbon-based and he is experienced with expat financial challenges. So he's a go-to person that we recommend. Right, he can help you with long-term investments, financial systems, and international taxes. And he's actually helped us and producer Dan has used him to explore what it would be like to move abroad and see if it would fit his family's current financial situation. I think what's great about him is that he gives you personalized plans. He will look into your unique situation and he'll help you out. And this is honestly what's super necessary because we get tax questions and finance questions on the YouTube channel and literally no background from the person that's asking us the question. So now we've started to point people to John. Right, because everyone is different and everyone has their own unique situation. So you need an expert to help you out. All right, so visit greenoceanglobal.net for contact information and further assistance. Check out the show notes below. Hello, and welcome, my emerging expat. You're tuned in to Let's Move to Portugal. I'm producer Dan, and I have the distinct honor of bringing you YouTube travelers and our resident Portugal experts, expats everywhere's Josh and Kaylee. Each week, they'll inspire, they'll educate, and they'll accompany you on your journey to Portuguese residency. This week on Let's Move to Portugal, join us as we explore the emotional journey of relocating with Louisa, longtime friend and key member of the Good Morning Portugal community. We'll delve into her insights on adapting to life in Portugal since her move in 2017 and the importance of building a supportive community. What is up, expats and travelers alike? Welcome back to the podcast. This is season two, episode seven, trying something a little different. Yes. So for all of you watching with video, we're doing our introduction on video now. Yeah, it's good to see you. <laughs> yeah. Kaylee, how you doing? <laughs> the usual question. Well, as I'm sure you can hear, listener, I still have that cold that I think we talked about last week that just lingers. So yeah, I might have a winter voice like uh, Phoebe from Friends for all of you uh, Friends fans. <laughs> I have no idea what you're referencing, but you I'm should. sure I've seen the episode. Yes, you've definitely seen the episode. I made him watch all 10 seasons. Yeah. Okay, so another week has passed and uh, maybe not as much has happened with the Portuguese government. Um, <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there have been rumblings of things. There have been, um, yeah, certainly rumors, nothing confirmed. So I don't know how much we need to go into that. I think really what we need to do is wait until the end of the month to see what happens in their next meeting. Yeah, too much speculation. So we'll hold off and hopefully in a couple of weeks we'll have a little more clarity. Yeah. And just to give you, listener, an idea of what we're talking about in case you've missed it, the prime minister uh, was embroiled in a scandal and he resigned and then the president rejected the resignation, which has thrown kind of the, the biggest thing for foreigners right now moving to Portugal is the NHR 
uh, regime. It's thrown that into a bit of a, a bit of a mess. We don't know mm-hmm. if NHR is going to end at the end of 2023. We assume it will, but there are rumors that it could kick on until sometime in 2024. Hard to say. Yes. So we'll update when we know a little more concrete, I guess. Correct. All right. We are on the eve of Thanksgiving, U.S. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is not celebrated here in Portugal. However, Americans do celebrate it. And, yes. Uh, we're so do there that. are different parties that go on. Um, yep. They might be a little hard to find or they could be a little expensive depending on which one you're doing. But Expensive's right. Right. But we are putting on one. So we're excited about that. And, you know, we capped it so it's not super big, but people are cooking and bringing authentic Thanksgiving food. So Thanksgiving is actually Ooh. my favorite holiday. I think mm. it's probably because of the food. So I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, and it's a potluck, so we wanted to to do something a little different um, and share the burden of cooking because um, – Isn't that what you do for Thanksgiving? Tough. You should share it, right? You should definitely share it. Not everyone does, I suppose, but – And then some people um, could bring money for meat, the meat. So yeah. no, one, no one's having to cook the, the turkey. We are getting turkey from Pingados, yes. not an ad. No. <laughs> I wish they sponsored us. That would be, be nice. That would be kind yeah. of cool, actually. So we're just doing like turkey breast that's already cooked and – um, they do offer full turkeys and even stuffed turkeys, but not this time of year. It's for Christmas and for New Year. So they give you like a small window. You pre-order and you get, get that for those holidays, but obviously they don't do it for Thanksgiving. So it's a bit of a bummer because like right now you can see, oh, you could get a whole turkey. Like they'll cook it for you and everything, but I can't pick it up until like December 23rd or something. So it's like, oh, what a bummer. Um, so they do offer that, but we're going to just go the route where they're going to um, like marinate and cook the turkey breasts and... That'll be good. And most of the people that we know are experiencing things. Most of the Americans we know are experiencing Thanksgiving uh, to some degree while here, whether it be at our party or another one they committed to before they found out about ours. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Updates on the YouTubes. The YouTubes, yes. Okay. We just put out the video of the 12 top cities to live in in 2024. So yes. check those out. Some, some of them might shock some you. Surpri- yeah, some yeah. surprises, some surprise omissions. Uh, mm-hmm. Not all of them are technically cities, I think, because of the population size, population density. We had some kind of towns represented in there. But yeah. There, there's a lot that's up and coming. So uh, a lot show promise for 2024. So that's Absolutely. important to highlight. Absolutely. And one of the criteria uh, for the selection of, of the towns and cities, cities yeah. was that there are some places that have gotten really expensive and other places that are still good values. So we wanted to highlight the cities that are good values. It was more about value, I think. Yeah. I mean, it was value, amenities, and, and Healthcare, other things. Healthcare, things like that, that yeah. we add in there. Well, we, we talk about healthcare, Briefly, but it wasn't yeah. like we selected things based on their healthcare because some right. of the cities we selected or towns do not have amazing healthcare. And Which is something to consider. You need to be forewarned. But it's kind of just a quick little, um, you know, tw- it's you know 12 different ones and they're quick little nuggets, I guess. So obviously if you want to see more, then we have breakdowns uh, in different video form, but it's kind of just a little bit on each to see if that interests you. Yep. So that was a good one. The vertical community update. So we still have a little bit of time left in the ARU process. That's A-R-U. Basically, it has to do with the building being located in a zone that has some tax benefits if you rehabilitate it. If you fix up anything that's like 30 years or older and there's a certain criteria um, to where your property needs to fit that list before the renovations, and then after the renovations, you have to do enough things to get this benefit. Uh, We're still doing a few things with that, and then we'll have the official thumbs up from the architect, builder, 
to start the, the actual yes. demolition. So we can't wait to swing a hammer there. And uh, yeah, I'm excited about that. But I'm also excited about our guest because she's a repeat guest that we've had on the channel before, not someone that we've had on the podcast yet. So allowing Kaylee and her to have a you know a little more space to chat. Yeah, because we do fun. love to chat. So Luis has been on our channel twice to talk about just real life things in Portugal. Yeah. She has a family here. They've been here for several years. They've lived in different places. They have a good handle on what it's like to be a family, but like mold and uh, needing a car, the climate, like just, I don't know, real life things. So we've talked about these things on the YouTube channel, but this was fun to get on the podcast this time because it's been a while. It's been a couple of years. Yep. What are some of her other like kind of expertises as a as a person here in Portugal? Yeah, she has she, a job. She, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a coach. She's a, like a life coach and she helps people. Um, she is in astrology and different things like that. I mean, she explains a little bit. So um, so she can, I'll let her do that. But yeah, but yeah she, she obviously is a mother, but then uh, she and Carl, her husband, who's on Good Morning Portugal, they have a YouTube channel and, and they chat about things, all expat life and Portugal life as well. And so they have that going on. Everything they do is, is online. So yeah. coaching and, and um, quite a lot of different things. And if you haven't heard of Good Morning Portugal, go check that out because there are a lot of long format conversations similar to this one, but different, uh, that you can check out so you can learn more about Portugal. Yeah? Yes. So with that being said, is there anything else? Should we jump into uh, my chat with Luisa? I think we should right after uh, this sponsor. All right. Let's go. WorldPost.io is powered by Anytime Mailbox, which means you can get your mail anytime, anywhere, even on your smartphone. And they really have competitive pricing with their lowest package starting at $5 per month. Here's a cool feature they have. WorldPost can relay things from the U.S. to Europe. So that includes documents. <laughs> Amazon purchases. Amazon the purchases. US. And you can get it to Portugal. And they have a variety of packages. Some include secure shredding, free junk mail filters, and things like that. I bet you love that junk mail filter. Oh, lots of junk mail. I sign up for a lot of newsletters. <laughs> She's not joking. So if you're interested in worldpost.io, you can visit the website or check the link in the show notes below. Okay, let's talk about Lusitana Dreams because what they're offering is really great. Yeah, it definitely is. And Dallas actually has grown Lusitano Dream since we first met him. So he's really getting his process dialed in. The thing that I like about it is it removes the barrier and, and choke point of the proof of accommodation. Because that's been one of the biggest things that the D7 and the D8 for the, like the long-term people have had problems with, right? Yeah, it's definitely something that is really hard to lock yourself into sight unseen. But here you can have a legitimate contract. You can rest assured that it's going to be a soft landing because you're coming into a furnished place in a good location and a livable location until you can kind of get your bearings and figure out where you really want to live. And the cool thing about it is that they can start your lease when you arrive. So you're not like burning a few months of, of cash essentially paying for an apartment or paying for a lease that you're not using. Yeah, that's one that's really hard to negotiate, trying to get a lease that starts when you want to arrive and not when you are actually applying. So the fact that they offer that as a service to where you're not, like you said, burning those months saves you a lot of money. Yep, Lusitano Dreams offers 
visa-friendly proof of accommodation. So that could be for the D7 visa or the D8 visa. And their properties include detached houses, apartments, room rentals as well in different locations like Lisbon, Cascais, Lule, and they're expanding too. So uh, soon to be Porto and quite possibly Silver Coast. Yeah, which is really exciting. So check out Lusitano Dreams for more information. We have a link in the show notes below. Luisa, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast because for our listener, if you haven't seen on YouTube, we have a couple videos where you and I chat about the most important things of Portugal yeah. on the YouTube channel. But now we have you on the podcast just to have a follow up. It's been a couple of years since you've been on the channel. So Seriously. How, long have you, how long have you been? I know. Gosh, we have to have to have you back on. But yeah. um, for those who haven't seen you on our YouTube channel, uh, just let our, our listener know how long have you been living in Portugal? just over six years. So we've just had our sixth year anniversary, I guess. Yeah, it's gone so fast. It's really hard to keep track of it, in fact. Yeah, that's exciting. Six years. And can you um, just let us know where you moved from and who you moved with? Yep. I moved with my husband and two children. Um, and then within about 14 months, we had another child in Portugal. Um, when we first came out here, we didn't know where we were going. So we um, rented a place for about a month and a half just on the outskirts of Tamar. Um, and we used that as a crash pad so that we could drive around and get a, a real feel for where our new spiritual home was going to be in Portugal. And um, the funny thing was we just couldn't decide. <laughs> we just yeah. drove around and around and around. And then um, my husband um, was doing some work with a guy like a quite an exciting social media project and he was required to move to the sort of greater Lisbon area and so from Tamar we um headed down to Arueira which is just south of the river um a really cool place and so we lived there for um about nine or ten months and then by that time I was quite pregnant and we moved we did some house sitting um back in the Tamar area um, then we moved up to a place called Korea, which um, gets mixed up with Korea quite a lot. You know, people are like, oh, wow, you've lived in Korea. That sounds really exciting. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just like very small town in between Aveiro and um, Coimbra. Um, and we really loved there. We were there during the pandemic. Um, and yes, we were there for about 18 months or so. And then from there, we moved to the Silver Coast just um, inland, not far from Caldas de Reña. And then we've been residing in San Martino de Porto, which is right by the sea. We've been there for two years. So it's in the Silver Coast, 11 kilometres south of Nazare and about 45 minutes drive from Lisbon. So I think so that's really interesting cool. because when a lot of people look to move to Portugal, they start with Lisbon and then Porto mm. and then maybe Braga, Coimbra, Algarve, those places come up. Yeah. But you stayed away mainly from those big hotspot areas. Why was that? Um, yeah, it wasn't exactly deliberate. I mean, Lisbon. Um, yeah, I mean, we had the chance to actually live in Lisbon. But like when we visited, first of all, I had a pushchair. Um, our youngest was coming up to two but not really a strong walker and so we stayed in Lisbon for a short while and used a stroller I, I think that's what Americans call it isn't it a stroller yeah. mm -hmm. a pushchair yeah um and yeah it was really it was really treacherous it was really yeah. difficult there's so many hills <laughs> and we weren't used to the calçadish the the kind of pavements they had 
Um, and I hadn't got used to wearing pumps or sneakers, whatever you call them in the States. I was still in that stage of wearing my DM boots, my Dr. Martin long boots, which I loved, but actually proved really slippery on the mm. Cassardish in the winter. And so it just felt a little bit difficult, you know, maneuvering. Um, you know, she was just out of the sling stage where I used to wear her. It was easy then, but with a pushchair, a stroller, it was so hard to get up and down the curbs. And, and so it just didn't feel very practical. Um, so when we went to Araira, it was very flat and really easy to maneuver. And it was so easy to get into Lisbon. It's a fantastic area, in fact. And you have more space there. It's a bit more open. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, there's a lot of life. There's a lot of really good beaches, you know, for people that do want to live in and around Lisbon, I really recommend the South Bank, you know, like the other side, Mm -hmm. um, not many people look there. You know, most people go to Cascais and all those like really glamorous areas. But south of the river, you get a bit more, I think you get a bit more choice. It's a bit more chilled. Um, the coast of Caparica is really quite lively as as a coast. Um, it, it reminds me a bit of some of the um, resorts we had in the UK. Some of our sort of kiss me quick type, you know, like you get, I don't know if you have kiss me quick hats. I don't know if that's just something that you have at a beach in in the UK. It's kind of like it can be a little. It can be seen as a bit tacky, you know. There's lots of gimmicks. You know how beaches uh, get. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you have gimmicky beaches? I'm sure we you do. Must yeah, do. we do. Um, like beach towns, I guess. Um, yeah. You know, on the east I mean, coast and such. Yeah, Costa Caparica is is very sort of like beach town. You know, it's uh, it's quite um, densely populated. Lots of bars and things like that. Um, but we were just a little bit further south from there, but. The, the motorways, the roads, it's all so easy. And the train just went straight up to Lisbon really, really quickly. So it was a great location. Yeah, that's But perfect. yeah, you're right. We, we've, we've kind of stayed um, from the coast to central. And we've been um, really from just south of Lisbon up, up just a little bit more north than Coimbra. Mm-hmm. And we just tend to stay in that little location. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Just, we just really just, like it. You like it, yeah. Uh, does yeah. it feel like there's just less tourists or less people in general, more local? Like, what do you like about it? Um, well, right now, I mean, we're actually in quite a busy tourist area. Um, mm. There's loads and loads of English speakers. You know, our Portuguese has not come on very well. <laughs> <laughs> there are loads and loads of expats where we live. Um, and the Portuguese are quite used to us. Um, and they often speak English. Um, lots of them speak French. And of course, lots of um, European settlers often speak French as a second language. So, um, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite a good mix. Um, like our beach town has just gone really quiet now and it'll be quiet now for about another three months or so. And it'll start to liven up again. But um, yeah, I mean, that's that's really busy. And then we've got Caldas de Reña, where we met you, actually, you and mm-hmm. Josh yeah. and your lovely daughter. Um, and Caldas has a lot of expats as well. Um, but then when we're driving around and about, you know, you get a bit more of a taste of Portugal. Um, so, yeah, it's it's not as Portuguese as we'd like it to be, probably. Like we um, went recently um, on a bit of a road trip and we went inland and we went to Torres... Um, I can't remember which one it was, Torres Vedra, I think. And it felt like all of a sudden we were in Portugal. It felt mm-hmm. foreign. And uh-huh. it doesn't really feel foreign to us where we are. It is quite, it's not as busy and densely populated as the Algarve, but it's, um, yeah, it's getting more popular, the Silver Coast. Yeah, that makes sense. A lot of people are asking about the Silver Coast area now as yeah. an option, a place to move to. 
Would you say any of these places are uh, not family friendly or all the places that you've lived, have they felt family friendly since you were moving around with your Yeah, I mean, we, we tend to pick places that have, have got the, um, like when we were in Korea, we were living down, down the road from this amazing park. Um, and so I used to push the kids, walk the dog and we'd like go to this park and it had loads of places to picnic and stuff. So that was great. Where we're living now, we can walk to the beach in 20 minutes we could walk a bit quicker if we weren't walking with the kids. <laughs> we, <Yeah. Always. laughs> we could we could drive or cycle in about four or five minutes. It's really, really close. We've got a choice of three beaches, in fact. Um, we can just walk up the road and onto the cliffs to... So we've got loads of sort of beachy type adventure things. And then even closer, about three minutes up the road, we've got some a little bit of forest and they've put a forest park in, you know, how the Portuguese love to make these lovely little, um, Parque de Morendish, you know, where people can meet and there's picnic tables, barbecue areas, um, and a little park. So we've got lots of things that we can walk to. Um, we've got a train station we can walk to and hop on a train, which goes everywhere. That's so, so nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's really perfect. Like, uh, you know, our eldest is 12. Our youngest is turning five next week they're getting to a stage where they want to explore a little bit more, have a bit more freedom, but not, not get like completely lost in it. So like when we go to Kaldash, um, which is a much bigger town, we play in the park and we're really aware of where our kids are um, because it, you know, it's a much bigger place, but where we are in San Martín de Porto, it's, it's a small little town and everyone kind of knows each other. Even mm -hmm. though we get loads of tourists, we get lots of people like waving at us and saying, Oh, hello. <laughs> um, and, and it's such a small scale. So it feels like our kids have got a really great space to grow into without them getting too, you know, I don't know, without it being too dangerous. Yeah. It's a safe, safe space. Yeah. And, um, like the Silver Coast, um, as the coastline goes, it's not a great place to swim in general. You know, there are some very terrifying beaches where people do lose their lives. Um, in fact, just like 11 kilometers from us, there's um, a, a stretch, no, five kilometers up the road, there's a stretch where there's a really ferocious um, kind of uh, riptide. And of course, if you're foreign, you might not even know that, but all the locals know not to go swimming there. But in on the coastline, there's this tiny little, and it looks like a little seashell or a little croissant. If you were to blow up the map, it looks like there's this little semicircle and it's a tiny little bay. And so we live in the bay. And um, so all the wild water is kind of outside. And then there's this little inlet which goes into a river. So it's really, really safe. And all three of our children have learned to swim in the sea rather than in a pool. And we go there sort of every couple of days. Yeah, that's and we great. don't go. We don't go when it's really hot. We wait until about four or five in the afternoon, so it's a bit calmer. We don't lose them on the beach. You know, we can <laughs> see them all the time. Um, and they've just been learning to swim in the sea, uh, in the ocean. I never thought that was going to be possible. Yeah, that's amazing. So yeah. then, speaking of weather, what does the weather get like if it gets hot, hot and busy during the summer? But you're talking about how it's going to turn into a bit of a sleepy town now that we're approaching winter. So what's the difference? Mm. Um, well, I mean, it's like we recently went back to Arueira, just south of Lisbon. It is definitely warmer there, mm -hmm. and that's only an hour and a half down the coast. It's definitely warmer. Um, but during the summer, we get really nice temperatures in the early 30s, probably late 20s, early 30s. Um, if we drive into Caldas de Reña or further inland, maybe to Tamar, it 
that temperature goes up from say 33 to 38 <laughs> it gets, it hot, it gets really yeah. hot mm-hmm. um because we're on the coast we've got this beautiful atlantic breeze which keeps us cool so you don't realize just how hot it is you know it feels bearable mm-hmm. whereas when we're in arawaira it was it was too hot for me and my coloring and our kids they were wilting it was a bit too hot <laughs> turning into lobsters <laughs> yeah it's like, like you, you can't know, get we... the sunscreen on fast enough <laughs> Exactly. And uh, it's like we wouldn't probably go to the Algarve in the height, in the height of summer. It's not for us. But it's great in the winter. Mm-hmm. But, um, in the winter here at the moment, um, it does get very damp. Um, you know, we are on the Atlantic coast and sometimes you get this big fog that comes in. But usually around about 11 o'clock in the morning, if it hasn't already, you know, the fog will suddenly like the sun will come out, the clouds will go, the fog will disappear. So right now it's a little bit overcast in the mornings and then mid-morning it brightens up unless it's you know going to rain for the day. Um, and then the evenings are, are, are cooler. You know, we've already started putting on our dehumidifiers, which obviously I spoke at great length. I'm known as that woman that <laughs> yes. moans about the damp. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> Do you know, so many people have asked me about that, Kaylee. They've said, yeah. oh my God, you're the damp woman. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so for our listener, just to give a little reference. Oh, we got in a really long conversation about the dampness and the what that mm. does to your your sheets and your clothes and, and mold and everything on the, yeah. our video um, on YouTube. So if you want to really dig into that and you haven't heard that before, then yeah. check out that interview. It'll be really similar <laughs> to this, but um, you know, in the style, yeah. but um, yes. Yeah, so people, so people say that you're the, the damp lady. It was such good information yes. though. And we get asked that all the time. I mean, wow. especially in the Northern part, you know, everyone's always worried about humidity and mold and what, what that's yeah. like on the inside. So what can you do to make sure that, you know, it doesn't happen to you? <gasps> Well, we've already started. So we've already started to um, spray down our windows, the insides of our cupboards with neat, like clear vinegar. You can buy it in all the cleaning sections. So don't look for it in the vinegar section in your supermarket because you won't find the right kind. But if you go to the cleaning section, there's always the vinegar. Some of them even come in spray bottles and you just spray it around you. I mean, don't spray it onto, um, I'm not taking responsibility <laughs> if you spray it onto <laughs> don't do it onto wallpaper mm-hmm. but um if you've got painted surfaces which thankfully for us all of our houses have got some kind of white paint we just lightly spray it and then sponge it down just with a slightly damp cloth wipe it off all the mold disappears mm-hmm. and you might do it a couple of couple of times a, a year like in um in other areas we've had to do it a lot more but we're in um, a fairly new house by Portuguese standards. Our house that we're living in, which we're renting, um, is about 30 years old, which I think by American standards is a really old house. <laughs> yeah, but here, definitely <laughs> yeah. not that old. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's got really, it's quite well insulated, but it doesn't have very good, um, uh, it doesn't have very good um, airflow. So all we do every morning, pretty much, even if it's raining, we open all the windows for a good couple of hours, let all the fresh air kind of come in then we shut it down and then we put the dehumidifiers on so we've got one upstairs one downstairs and we can move it around a bit i mean we tend to follow each other around the house quite a bit so wherever the people are is where we put the dehumidifiers it's the it's the humans that really are creating the, <laughs> the, the, the problems <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so it's just you know just be vigilant with it Mm-hmm. Um, and I noticed that the Portuguese, they start lighting their fires at home around the end of October. And I was thinking, it's just so hot. Like, why would they still be, why would they be doing that? And I think they, they get drying out their houses as soon as possible 
So you want to start as soon as possible, almost before it's a problem. And Mm -hmm. then you can manage it all year. Yeah. Because once it already sets in, it's really hard, right? Yeah. 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 To get rid of it. But yeah. Okay. So we won't go too long into that. (laughs) I was was telling you about the the winter here, because like one of the things that we notice is even if it does get cold um, in your homes, because these homes aren't really built for... um, keeping the heat in they're built to keep the heat out what i notice is um we are actually warmer outside sometimes so um we tend to spend a lot more time outside actually in the winter um and then you know when we come in um you know we just whack the heating on we've got like these tiny little heaters and we just heat the rooms we're in um people i know people that have had pellet burners and all sorts of different things um, if you can do it without using electricity, you're much better off because the electricity prices are quite, quite large. Um, mm-hmm. But if you dehumidify, um, it automatically, as you're taking out the damp from the room, that automatically raises the temperature. Yeah. So it's worth doing that as a first um, port of call. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Good advice. Okay, so <laughs> I wanted to ask you because you said you've been here, you know, around six years. So you have seen a lot of changes mm. in Portugal. And so I wanted to chat with you. What was Portugal like when you first arrived? And what are some of like, I guess, the biggest changes that you've seen? Mm, that's a really good question. It's hard to completely gauge because, well, we've kind of moved around quite a bit. So it's really hard to say what's really changed because we can't really compare the different places we've lived in. Yeah. such. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that I've noticed is there's a lot more expats here now than there were. And the technology that we use is different just in six years. Um, so when we came out, both Carl and I had smartphones and I think we did have Spotify and we might have used a little bit of Netflix and we might use a bit of YouTube, but like normal TV was still quite a big thing you know, in our, Mm -hmm. you know, where we came from and and over here. And I've noticed that the technology that people are using is changing what it's like to be an expat. So for instance, I know you and um, Josh have lived in loads of different countries for many, many years. And I've lived in some other countries. And I noticed that when I was living in other countries, you know, I actually listened to the local radio. I listened to the local television. I used to get newspapers. People aren't really doing People don't really buy newspapers anymore necessarily. Mm -hmm. We get all of our news in our local language, the one that we actually speak. You know, everything pops up on our smartphones and we've got these great like, you know, years ago I'd actually go around with a a dictionary in my purse. Don't need Uh to anymore. You know, (laughs) you have your phone. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, I got my phone and it's bashed up. I mean, that's something I've noticed is your phones take a lot of damage on these Uh hard floors. But, um, (laughs) you know, like technology has really made it easier to be an expat abroad. But that does also disconnect us mm. because we're not having to think so hard to speak the language. We're not having to um, make so many changes ourselves. Um, and it's like you can you can live the life you're already used to. So, for instance, you know, we if we don't want to watch Portuguese television, we just don't have to watch it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're not massive TV watchers, but, you know, kids like to watch a few things. And we're not even using TV anymore. Like we use YouTube or Netflix. I mean, that's completely changed the landscape. And although that doesn't have anything directly, um, you know, that's not directly related to being an expat. But like if we go and stay in an Airbnb, there's Netflix, you know, you Mm -hmm. just log into your account. So 
it's you're not necessarily having as much of a Portuguese experience anymore, is my honest feeling. Yeah. Because we just keep all of our podcasts, all the things we are used to, they just come with us. Yeah. They're on demand. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we have to make a bit more of an effort or try a bit harder or just get used to the fact that I think things are actually just becoming more international. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it, just becoming more international, because I would think that even in places like, you know, outside of Portugal, if you move to, yeah. let's say, Italy or not even in Europe, but somewhere in Asia, that you it's the same thing, right? You're, yeah. You get disconnected from like what local stuff was because you don't need it anymore. You can have everything right at your fingertips in the language that you want or the type yeah. of, you know, platform that you want to use. And it's just right yeah. there. So, um, but it does disconnect us as people as well too, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, so that's tough, you know, making sure that we're still creating relationships and networking and such mm. and actual like, you know, face-to-face contact rather than it just being all digital. Exactly. And of course, do you have Uber where you are in Porto? Yeah. Yeah. Like in, I mean, we don't have it here, which is great. So if we want to get a takeout, we actually go to the local takeout place and we converse and we chat and, you know, we, we do all the things, but like, you know, when we go away and we go to Lisbon, um, all of a sudden you don't, you don't even need to speak to somebody. You just dial it up, whatever you want mm-hmm. straight from your phone. Mm-hmm. So again, there's those ways as well that, you know, there's just so many ways. And like our kids, as they're growing up, they're not going to know any different, but of course we know. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure most of your listeners will know what it was like, you know, when they travel to foreign places. So the landscape is changing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it reminds me, do your kids watch the um, show Bluey? I know yes. Bluey's a big one. We love Bluey. There's, Bluey's yeah, amazing. Bluey's <laughs> so there's that the one episode of Bluey where they're playing with their grandfather and they're, you know, he's supposed to be ordering food on the phone and he tries mm. to call and they're like, no, you don't call. We don't talk to you. And then, <laughs> and then he tries to order it and he goes to pick it up and they're like, what are you doing? Go back home. You sit in your home and we bring it. <laughs> And then when like Bingo tries to deliver it, he's like, "Oh, hello, how are you tonight?" And she's like, "We don't talk, you know." So it's just it's just a joke on like it's so yeah. true. Now you can literally get what you need without talking to anyone. So yeah. you have to be careful to to um you know making sure that you're connecting with people. Which actually yeah. brings me to my next question. Okay. Um, you're talking about lots of expats where you live. Um, so how do you connect with with them, and how do you build community so that you're actually doing face to face kind of things with the expats and the locals? Um. Well, I think a lot of, you know, I mean, it's it's quite easy for me because of what my husband Carl does. Um, can I just say? Quickly? Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> yeah, so he, um, you might know him from Good Morning Portugal. So that's um, a, a channel. And, um, you know, he's basically or- organizing like discovery weekends. He's a, a, a weekly meetup and he's always doing stuff within the community. So I don't need to go looking for it because he kind of brings it to us in yeah. sometimes quite an inappropriate and annoying way. Like, you know, <laughs> we'll be minding our own businesses, just wanting to do like a family thing. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, God, yeah. But uh, so we don't have to really try hard. Um, it automatically gives us a lot of introductions. But I think, you know, most people when they, um, well, Facebook has really helped, isn't it? Like mm-hmm. when I first moved over or were thinking of moving over, we went onto Facebook and all we could really find about Portugal was um, the forum or the group, Pure Portugal. That's where we used to go. Um, and it had lots of comments and and um, advice for people, especially if they were sort of homesteaders, you know, really wanting to set up some kind of um, homestead. Um 
but there's all these groups that have sprung up or maybe I've just got more used to finding them. I don't know which I it is. I think that, it's, I think more groups have sprung up. Yeah. Exactly. Just because it's become more popular and people are seeking more information. Um, exactly. So, yeah. And I think it's in our culture now. I think people are naturally wanting to create content, to share content, to help people. Uh, we are naturally in this kind of share, share economy at the moment. I think we, we're moving out of, um, yeah, it's almost like we're kind of coming into this flat shared economy where everyone is adding to the collective somehow, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so whenever I go to a new place, I always look for the local expat um, or the local town group. Um, and, you know, that's, you know, I put in a little message, best opticians, I need to get my eyes tested. And there's loads and I could choose, but I just thought it would be good to get an idea from people, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I think things like Facebook have played a really important role. And just getting out and about, like if we go to the beach and we're just chatting, you know, we we hear somebody speaking English or somebody comes, they hear us speaking English, we might converse. Or if people have got kids similar age, you get chatting at a park. Before you know it, you're, you know, you've you've got a nice flow, a nice relationship. Mm-hmm. But I do think um, there is a bit of a difficulty. Um, people, uh, have you heard that phrase? It's like taking heaven by storm, you know, where you. Mm-hmm kind of rush into something and and you don't really use much discernment i think when people are away and you 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 guys might have found this yourself but people make a beeline for for you if they realize you're a fellow foreigner and that they want to go into this sort of ultra friendly mode which is really really nice um and so i i noticed lots of people form friendships really fast um but that doesn't mean to say they're going to be long relationships it's like people intensely fall into something and then I notice they quite often intensely fall away Mm. um you know because expats as a general rule I think are slightly different people you know if we were normal we'd all probably stay at home I'm not saying we're (laughs) not normal yeah but But we we have something that connects us in that sense like our mindset and the way that we think and what we want to do the lifestyle we want to live right so you, you gravitate towards that when you live in a new country I tell yeah. this to people as well, but that doesn't mean like you just because you're an expat and you have that the same mindset there that you're going to be best friends because you might have nothing else in common besides that. Exactly. So yeah, yeah. instead of being so intense on like, oh, the, you know, everything's new. I'm trying to build community. You're an expat and we think the same. Um, you know, after you get to know them a little more, you might think it's not that I don't like you. It's just that I've realized we just don't have much in common. Like Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, and, and I'm sure you'll find this as well. Um a lot of expats, I mean, I, it might not be true at the moment. There might be, I mean, I've seen some more families coming over, but traditionally expats have been retirees. You know, the people that have done their work, they're not looking to work. They've, they want to maximize their pensions. They want to mm-hmm. make their money go a bit further and they want to live in a beautiful, warm place where they don't have to worry about the cold. You know, most people feel healthier in the warmth, don't they? Especially mm-hmm. if they've got something like arthritis or something, you yeah. know, so... I can see why it attracts a lot of older people. And of course, you know, if you're being paired with older couples, you know, like one of the things I found is when I've made friends with um, people from a different generation and at a different stage in their life, um, you know, they don't have things to do all day. Whereas we have things. We have kids. <laughs> all day long. And work, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have to work. Both of us have to work. We've got kids and we have to have family, you know, like spend time with our family and appreciate it. And so, you know, we're at a really different pace. And so I I have struggled over the years to meet up with 
people that are more, um, you know, like doing similar things. But again, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get on with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> just because like, I mean, I, I didn't like that in, in England and maybe I'm just a massive complainer. <laughs> quite possible, isn't it? You know how some people like they instantly make friends with everyone else at the school run, you know, and everyone becomes friends because you're all at the same stage. Um, yeah, that I don't know. I like to make friends with people because we've got things in common, you know, yeah. like hobbies, things, interests, you know. I think that that means it'll last longer generally, yeah. right? Just because you have kids the same age and maybe you work and you have kids and they're the same age, it doesn't mean that it's going to be this lifelong relationship and friendship, right? Exactly. If there's, if there's no foundation, nothing to stand on, because what do you talk yeah. about? What do you do in, in your you know spare time rather than just go to playgrounds, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, I mean, yeah, it, it definitely gets deeper when you have yes. someone who actually – that you share – the same interests in something. Yeah. Um, I definitely get that. And I think you've, you know, it, there's been a shift six years ago. I would say it was a lot more retirees who were moving to Portugal, yeah. especially a lot more, I think, British, German, and Algarve has kind of been known for that, right? Mm. Um, and then it kind of made lists for Portugal. So instead of, I mean, for America, Americans, because, it, you know, Portugal wasn't really on a lot of the list. A lot of it was, you know, down south of, of the U.S. So you get Mexico, you get Costa Rica, you get Ecuador, places like that. So now all of a sudden people are thinking, oh, I can retire in Europe. Like what a great option that is. So we yeah. kind of saw that, you know, evolution. And then it's moved even past that with people, especially, you know, a silver lining, I guess, of, of COVID is that companies are allowing people to work remotely. So it's like, you know, okay, I can still have my job and my family can live here. I can maybe have a better work-life balance or I can live in Europe, which has always been a dream of mine and my family. It opens up different you know, doors for my family. So now I think we're seeing it's, you know, there's still a lot of retirees that are coming here, but then you're shifting to families as well, Mm -hmm. which is nice. Um, But, you know, obviously families are still like really spread out. I think in Porto, we find there's more of them, you know, because it's a big city. So you have maybe more options for um, networking parents who need, you know, work stuff, but then also schools, things like that. So sometimes I think some of the smaller towns, they're still lacking in the expat families just because it's not always conducive to the certain lifestyle that people are looking for right away. So you still get the retirees that are going to some of these smaller places like where you are um, Mm. and less families because of maybe amenities and resources, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, We have managed to meet loads of families though, which is good, good. Uh, but it's taken us a while. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, like our kids, I mean, um, one of them's just had his birthday and our house was full of kids. Yeah, that's good. That's exciting. <laughs> just, uh, it's coming in from different know? areas as well, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it's great fun. They definitely don't feel like they're on their own or anything. And we've got friends that we meet um, at particular pubs, like there's some great places, you know, with bouncy castles and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got look, different friends for different things, I guess. And yeah. we've got lots of um, pseudo grandparents around as well. So, you know, we've got all these wonderful, I mean, we do love loads of our good retired friends, um, you know, who maybe miss their grandchildren. Mm. Um, and then they've got kind of pseudo grandchildren and we've got pseudo parents, pseudo grandparents. So we're all kind of matching up. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like expats don't always stay, you know, lots do. Like you mentioned, some so many um, Americans went from the north to the south, you know, to New Mexico and stuff. And I've seen lots of people come from New Mexico to Europe. So the kinds of people that move one place might also then move again. Mm-hmm. If you've got the guts to do it and you feel fit enough to do it and you want to explore more. So I think, you know, expats do have a tendency to move around a little bit more. Yeah. 
I think that is the mindset too. So that is hard when you, when you connect with a family or someone and then, you know, life takes them somewhere else. So that's always yeah. a difficult thing, but something to definitely think about as an expat for sure. But it's really mm. nice to see this evolution of like more people um, feeling comfortable coming at any stage of life, whether that's, uh, I mean, a lot more like single women have been yeah. reaching out to us and like, you know, can I do this? I'm thinking about doing this. You know, maybe, um, you know, they're divorced or their spouse passed their spouse passed or they, you know, were never married or their kids are older or whatever it is like, but now they've, you know, the technology has really helped with that. Right. They, so they, they feel really, like they, really you know, a lot more comfortable to do this. So you've got, you got a whole array of people in different stages of life, uh, you know, come into Portugal, which is really nice to see, uh, how that's changing. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I just think we're really, really blessed. I mean, it's a, a really nice pace as well. Um, you know, I mean, we're not by, any means like the the bulk of the expats you know hmm. um, one thing i have noticed is there's a lot more brazilian people coming in um and that's that's really great as well i, I really love the energy of the brazilians uh -huh. you know, and they're really quite family oriented as well um and there's lots of people that are really curious about foreign kids and foreign families you know uh, we live in a little neighborhood we i mean we picked a really suburban house just on the outskirts of town and um And we thought, oh, yeah, we're moving into this really suburban area. There's going to be loads of kids. You know, there's going to be loads of kids for our, our kids to play with as well. And, and, and actually, a lot of them are holiday homes. <laughs> so <it's laughs> there are a quiet. few kids. Yeah, there are a few kids. And funnily enough, an American family just literally moved in across the road with kids. Um, And they mentioned that they watch you guys and they knew us as well, which oh. is really weird. Yeah. They like moved in, looked and were like really surprised. Wait a second. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we had some conversations with them. Um, but apart from that, we've got Portuguese neighbors that also speak French, which is great for me because I speak French um, and pidgin Portuguese. Um, <laughs> but, you know, everyone's really friendly and, and respectful. Like, you, you know, we just had Halloween. Um, I heard this kind of, psst, Luisa, Luisa. And like my neighbors are like holding bags of sweets over the wall, you know, for our kids. Oh, it's really nice. Yeah. 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 Um, so we're, we're starting to settle down a little bit and, yeah. you know, it, get it's roots. really nice. Uh, Portuguese overall are just so family friendly, which I really love. It makes it so much easier just to just have a great lifestyle where you can go out, uh, you know, to restaurants and it's okay. It's acceptable to have your kids there. The, oh, yeah. the Portuguese are, you know, waving at them. And, um, yeah, so I, I do love um, being able to raise a child here in Portugal, which is nice. And then you were mentioning Brazil's the same. A lot of Brazilians are oh, coming yeah. here, which makes sense because mm. of the language. But then also I think, you know, Portugal is much safer than Brazil right now, especially. So yeah. uh, we have some friends who have kids and, and, um, you know, they wanted their kids to grow up in a safe environment, you know? Yeah. So, So Portugal is just a great option for Brazilians. So we see a lot of Brazilians who are here as well, uh, which is nice to get the mix, um, you know, of yeah. the different nationalities uh, to be able to, you know, just let your kids kind of see like this is the world, right? We, we're living in a more international type world. Again, back to technology as well, yeah. allowing that, but um, just being an expat as well. Yeah, I think they get a much broader perspective when they're hanging around with other expat children and, 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 Yeah, children from all nationalities, you know, it just makes the world seem a lot more accessible to them, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and of course, a lot of families now aren't necessarily that nuclear, you know, like there might be like their friends might have parents that have got older children from other marriages and things like that. So, you know, some of our kids' friends have got brothers and sisters 
in other countries doing other things. In fact, they've our three have. My husband Carly's got two older daughters um, and two grandchildren, and so one lives in England, one lives in Italy. You know, so all of these as we're sort of connecting and then learning more about each other's families, it's just I don't know. Things are just so much more expanded. Yeah, it's, I think it's a great opportunity. It's a great. Uh time to be living, I guess, you know, I mean, yeah. obviously there's been a lot of ups and downs with other things going on, but um, yeah. to look on the bright side of things, like, uh, you know, like you're saying, being blessed and just being able to have mm. this opportunity and Portugal's providing this opportunity for us and for our kids, which yeah. is really, really awesome. Yeah, it's very special. Yeah, yeah. It really, truly is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't imagine being back home. I mean, um, I was talking to some friends back home um, and that's where I really notice a difference. Now, I haven't actually been back to the UK. It's going to be six years in December. Okay. I just haven't. I just so haven't when you been left, back. It, you haven't been back. Like um, I went back, went back. Right. I went back two and a half months in. Okay. Um, my mother had had a stroke and she was quite poorly and um, they didn't want me to go over and crowd them or anything. But when my mum was able to have visitors, um, they said, yeah, come back, come back okay. and say hello. Okay. And so um, it just so happened to coincide with the time when it was starting to get colder. And when we moved here and we thought, oh, it's a thousand kilometers south of England. We're not going to need jumpers <laughs> or, <laughs> or anything like that. Yeah. And so we'd put all of our winter clothes in storage in the UK with a lot of our things because we didn't shift everything over in one go. We wanted mm -hmm. to be you know a little bit cagey <laughs> like kind of dancing Check between two countries for yeah, a while yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and so within the first two and a half months we realized we needed a, a lot of warm clothes yeah. <laughs> so all that we stuff back, we left <laughs> yeah we went back to visit my mom check she was all right and also to fill our suitcases full like we went we came with empty suitcases filled them up with winter clothes and um then came back but i've i've spoken to um like friends about what's going on in, in in their kids lives and stuff back in the uk and i'm hearing some real horror stories mm. you know and obviously it's not like that for everyone but you know like uh, where we used to live in devon um you know i've heard of oh, all sorts of things you know where violence is on the rise and there's a lot of um difficulties in schools there's yeah there's just it it just sounds very stressed. Yeah. Like, you know, um, I don't I don't wanna kind of name it really and say society's falling apart because <laughs> I think if you talk about it it kinda happens. But mm. um yeah, from from what I'm hearing, people aren't as contented. There you go, that's a an easier way of talking mm. about it. People don't seem to be happy in their lives as much um as they were. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I just don't have that. I you know things got hard I think like a, a couple of years in because um, I think you know the honeymoon period wears off and then it's your reality and uh, uh, you know and you've got lots of things to there's a lot of grieving I think that goes on with without realizing you know you you, you um within your first year you'll realize that there's loads of birthdays of loved ones that you don't get to spend with them you have your own birthdays you're not with your family and stuff and there's all these different things that you don't quite consider before you move away but like now, six years on, like we just feel like life is getting better and better and better. Mm -hmm. And we're getting more and more established. We're getting ourselves back on track. It takes a while. Well, it took us a while. I know some people are super organized. You know, they know exactly what they're doing, where they're going to be living, how it all works. Good for them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
but that's not you. It's really not us. We've, yeah. We've taken a very sort of circuitous route and I think we are back in our vibe again. You know, yeah. we're sort of like heading in the right direction. That's good to know though, just because sometimes even someone who is organized and who says, I know exactly where, where I want to be, that doesn't mean it's going to pan out the way you thought, mm. right? So just being flexible to the idea of that you might, you know, you know, fall away for a little bit and whatever that looks mm. like and just, you know, soldier on and, and chat with other expats who are going through the same thing or who have gone through it already because that's so helpful. Because yeah. sometimes I think that's a thing like what we were talking about earlier where expats uh, have the same mentality with things. So when you talk with family back in you know your home country or friends that maybe you grew up with that you've been lifelong friends, but they chose a different route, they don't understand it, right? They don't understand when you talk about certain things um, that are difficult as an expat. So that's where you can really connect with the different expats in your community or just around the country that you're living in um, to make that connection and understand and help each other through those things, right? Definitely, definitely. And um, because I've lived in quite a few different countries, not as many as you guys, but um, I'm actually in touch with most of my expat friends from other countries as well. Yeah. um, Because I made really solid bonds with them. And so I'm still in touch with people from like 20 years ago, 15 years ago. um, And and. And of course, like the internet facilitates that, doesn't it? You know, I was chatting to my friend from Bali today for an hour. Uh You know, it's really easy. Um, So I think that has also helped, you know, because if I can't find it immediately here, I've still got other contexts, contacts and a context to have those relationships in. Yeah. Um, Like to like when we moved here um, just over two years ago, um, we were buying in furniture and it was starting to feel like, oh, okay, we're renting, but it it feels like this is a kind of semi-permanent home. And right before Christmas, I just burst into tears. All of a sudden, I just thought, what have I done? I've taken our kids away from England. I've taken them away from the potential family. God, I wish I had my family around me. Sorry, I whacked the table, my camera wobbled. (laughs) 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 And, um, And I just thought, oh, gosh, you know, like when I was growing up, you know, every Christmas we'd go to the same place, the same people would be there. And it just occurred to me that my my kids weren't growing up with that same sense of consistency um, and that feeling of being held by a community. Um, and I, I felt a terrible amount of guilt about, you know, what what impact that might have on, on our kids. Um, I now realise that um, actually our kids actually feel really quite held anyway. Um, and they're not even looking for it. it. It just doesn't, I think that was just something that I experienced, but they've never really experienced it. We've moved around a lot. They've always actually felt safe because mm. I don't know, the way we do it has felt okay. And we've always been together. Um, but yeah, for me, it was obviously one of my values. I wasn't ready to give up on and I had to have a real good cry. I was a little bit down for a few days. Yeah. Um, not too long, but you know, it's just, I guess we have these expectations and, and ways of being and every now and again, you'll get triggered. Um, mm-hmm. Guaranteed. Yeah. yeah. Especially. I mean, I mean just... have you had any moments like that? I know you've been away for a long time, haven't yeah, you? Yeah. We've been doing it for so long. I think it's a little different now that we have a child, right? Um, mm. Just, uh, I think, 
it surprised me. It hit Josh a little harder than me last time we went back and we were able, like, because when we left, she was nine months old. So she met yeah. some of the cousins, not all of them, but some of them, and they were older, so they remember her, but she obviously doesn't remember them. Yeah. So then we were back, um, you know, in March, April of this year, and she's older and, and can play and can, you know, realize we've been talking with these people on the screen, you know, like these are my cousins. <laughs> and so yeah. um, it was nice to see that, right, to see connecting with, with family. And so Josh was like, maybe we should go back a little more often because in the past we wouldn't, uh, you know, we yeah. would travel. We would go different places. We'd spend holidays elsewhere. Um, so now it's like, okay, so maybe we need to make sure that we keep those connections uh, stronger than when it was just the two of us. So, you know, things change obviously when you have kids and you yeah, think about, you you know, you want them to have a relationship with their family, even if, if it's, you know, we don't live in the same country. But um, so I you get that a little bit. And I think that's something good for um, people to realize when they move, no matter what stage of life they're in, whether they're moving yeah. and they have kids who are adults, like it's going to be different. And it's, yeah. it's tough because in the States, like, you know, the States are so big. So you might live in a completely different state from your family member. Um, and so you're not seeing them daily anyway. And then but then when you move. A different into a different country it feels a little different as well even though it's like yeah. well i wasn't actually seeing them daily and i was talking to them on the phone and that's going to literally be the exact same thing i'm going to do here but it feels a little different um because yeah. you're so much further away so if something happens or something um yeah. but but yeah it's just good to make sure that you keep up the connections um you know you have to be intentional about keep, keeping those yeah, connections because you if you're not then it can very easily you know fall away and it can go you know you realize oh my gosh i haven't spoken with so-and-so in a month or something you know so you have to be intentional <laughs> yeah. about it yeah. yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, and also, like, if you're in a different time zone, that can really also um, create some issues because you're used to talking to people at the same time and you can't. So, like, like you say, you have to be intentional. I mean, we've met expats who came over um, and had the um, intention of flying back to America to visit their grandchildren. But they had the intention of doing it maybe three or four times a year. And then in the year that they moved over... Um, the prices of travel just shot through the roof. And, you know, that was going to create such a pressure on their lifestyle. Um, that in the end, they they moved back because wow. it, it just, it was really difficult. So it's it's a lot easier from us, like, you know, from the UK to Portugal. I think the prices have gone up quite a bit. And we heard from somebody recently that it was actually better to travel to Vigo or Vigo. Vigo, in Spain. yeah, in Spain. Uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then fly from there because yeah. there's cheap flights there. So uh -huh. I think that's what we'll do. I had a friend do that actually. Uh, she's British, <laughs> yeah, and she did that. She was visiting Porto and then went up to Vigo and then flew from there. So yeah, so yeah, there's always a way. Hacks, little hacks, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it is so true. You just have to. I think people just need to understand that there, it's it's just going to be different, right? Um, there yeah. will be times that you grieve and um, times that you are excited because you're you know ready to host your family. They come visit or whatever that might look yeah. like. But uh, it's not for everyone. Some people do go back, mm -hmm. go back uh, to where you know their home country is. Yeah. Um, well, it, it, it makes us richer, I think. M maybe not financially, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah. um it does bring a richness to life, you know, we have different experiences. I'm so grateful for them. Mm -hmm. Really am. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Same with us. So grateful and then grateful to pass it on to our child, right? To the kids and and then they can choose if they want to go back to the country they're, you know, they're born in or they're from or continue on uh, the yeah. crazy expat lifestyle as well. They have <laughs> options, right? I mean, our four-year-old, um, he thinks he is um, American, Portuguese, British. He <laughs> thinks he's got three nationalities. <laughs> And there's no um, American in there, right? I no, mean, no, there's no American in there at all. 
But I, I think that's, you know, because he watches a bit of um, YouTube and Netflix. Yeah, so like everything. The American, like everything is Americanized. I think that is another um, difference, actually, I've noticed. Because um, I think even like Portuguese culture is probably influenced a lot by internet culture. So, for instance, our kids, um, our older kids in particular, really like Minecraft. Um, and so there's loads of Minecraft channels, you know, for like young teens um and they're nearly always american Mm. um you know and and there'll be portuguese children watching those as well there'll be italian children spanish children um you know i i've got my own channel um feel good astrology and i'm having people from europe like watching you know so they're learning things from like loads of people are watching english speaking channels Mm -hmm. a lot and so again like teenagers growing up now, even if they're Portuguese, aren't going to be as Portuguese as they were 20 years ago. Mm. Yeah. You know, they're understanding American references. Our kids are understanding American references. And so like their cultural standpoint and like their music, their fashion, everything's influenced by um, a slightly more generalized, um, I don't know, point of attraction. Mm -hmm. You know, things are less individual. Yeah, it's uh, more global, right? Things Definitely are less individual global. and less um, nationalistic or country-centric, yeah. I suppose, because you have access now. Again, back to technology. I feel like this has been a lot about technology, right? Well, yeah, I mean, just um, think what's going to happen with AI as well, you know, without getting all doom and gloom. Um, you're right. I mean, everything is getting global. And so we might not notice the impact of it right now. But when the young Portuguese people come into their kind of ascendancy or something as they're coming into work and as they're, you know, they're probably just going to be speaking English mm. um, a lot more. I mean, you know, when um, when I go to fashion shops, not fashion shops, because I'm, I'm not really a fashion <laughs> consumption person, but like if I go to a shop, in particular clothes shops, um, even though I might be in Tamar or somewhere in deepest, darkest Portugal, if I go into a shop, they've nearly always got their signs now, a lot of their signs are in English. Mm. Yeah. You know, like um, I was looking at, um, was it Springfield or somewhere like that? And um, behind the counter, all of the signage is in, in British or American, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah, um, it's interesting. Yeah. Like why? <laughs> I mean, it just is, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, there's still so many more Portuguese, but all of a sudden the English language is infiltrating everywhere. Mm-hmm. So... um yeah, I think, you know, whilst we don't notice it so much now, in 20 years' time, this could be a lot more English, sp- like there's going to be a lot more English spoken, I think, mm-hmm. um, which could really change a culture. So yeah, it's, definitely it's so, an interesting yeah. one. Yeah, we, we do live in interesting times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and AI will facilitate that. Yeah, um, yeah. that will change things too. Mm-hmm. But it will most likely also bring in more opportunities as well, mm. you know, because it could bring in more sort of global um, working options and things like that. You know, it could, um, I, you know, I think for our children growing up in international communities and understanding what it's like to have different cultures nearby, you know, and of course we could just got Spain not that far away. Mm. Um, you know, we are you know we can get out and about in europe and stuff so our kids are meeting european kids american kids kids from all over the world um as they get older i i think they could easily work in 
in these kind of really diverse working groups because so many people work from home. I mean, that's another big difference. So mm. many people work from home. Like when I was living in France, I couldn't work from home. You know, I yeah. didn't even have a mobile phone. I was uh-huh. only like 20. So I was working for a French, a French campsite owner, you know, um, and I've worked in different places that I've lived in, but they were always owned by the, the you know, nationals of those countries. Now you don't need to. So both Carl and I work from home. We work for ourselves and we work with English speaking people mm-hmm. predominantly. Mm-hmm. It's only when we step outside of our house that we're really in Portugal. Mm-hmm. It's a tricky it's balance, right? A yeah. tricky balance um, just with how things are. It's like there's pros and cons to it, right? Yeah, I mean, we could we could be living anywhere in the world and and pretty much have the same life we've got now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, apart from you know when we want to go to the beach. Well, then let's let's end on this because um, you you could be doing this anywhere, but mm. you've chosen Portugal and and, you, and you're you know I don't, I don't want to say like putting down roots, but becoming more comfortable in that sense. So yeah, why have you chosen Portugal then if you could be anywhere in the world doing what you're doing? Well, um, that's that's a great question. I'd never been to Portugal. I literally, when I came, that was my first visit. Carl had been before. Um, so I'd lived in France, Italy, um, and Bali in Indonesia, um, and somewhere else. Oh, <laughs> it's been so long. <laughs> long ago. <laughs> it will come to my mind um, after. Um, and so when I met Carl, he said, you know, I'm actually planning on moving to Portugal. And I said, what was it like? And he said, well, it's really green and there's lots of hills and mountains and river beaches and things like that. I mean, he was obviously talking about central Portugal, which is mm. where he'd been. Um, and he showed me pictures and I thought, wow, that really reminds me of Bali because, you know, Bali has quite a lot of height and it's really green. And and um, and I thought, wow, that's kind of nice. Um, and then... We like chatted about it. I learned a little bit more about it. It was it was more affordable. So obviously, you know, if we were going to go to Europe, I would have imagined us going to France because we both speak French, and I'm, you know, I've I've lived there for five years. Um, but it it was really expensive by mm-hmm. comparison, and um, you know, at the time, like when we were wanting to move away, it was because we both wanted to work for ourselves. We didn't want to have to have full time jobs if we could avoid it. Not because we work shy, but because we um, were old parents. I mean, Carl, I mean, Carl had kids when he was really young, who are now grown up. But you know, we were older parents, and I wanted to have time with my children. Mm. I'd spent years working, you know, <laughs> really, really hard. So I wanted to spend time with them. And um, we knew in the UK we would need to um, either be like really, really in well-paid jobs, you know, to be able to work part time. And to be able to spend time with our children, we just knew it wasn't possible. Um, and and also we we wanted to have that feeling of a bit more space. Um, we you know like you were saying, you know, children in Portugal, you know, in restaurants and things, they love kids. Sorry, oh God. that's another thing about Portugal. There's flies around. <laughs> <laughs> I need my luck. Flies up. But, um, yeah, like like they love kids here. In, in England, it's not so apparent. You know, they're seen as a bit of a pain. And I remember one night um, going to visit, I think, Carl's mum, and it was quite late and our kids w- were awake and we were walking through this station and there were no kids. There's no kids anywhere. And mm. it's in London. There should have been other families, but, like, where were they? All well, the kids were in bed or something. Yeah. You know, 
in Portugal, they really quite like a late night and kids are part of life and that's mm -hmm. what we wanted. Um, and we knew we could get that in Europe. So, yeah, we, we thought we'd come to Portugal and see if we liked it. And and it just felt really, um, you know, we went to a couple of their festas and it reminded me a little bit of that vibe I was talking about that I missed um, for my children, you know, that I experienced as a child, you know, where we would go to the same place and, you know, there was grannies, great grandparents, <laughs> aunties, uncles, cousins, and that kind of thing. I grew up with that kind of energy. Um, and yeah, I can't replicate it here, but when we went to the festas, um, like the parties that people have in their villages, we got a sense of that, that was mm. still happening mm -hmm. and that felt really, really good. Um, yeah. yeah. So it feels like it's a bit like Portugal feels like it's maybe culturally 20 to 30 years behind where the UK is. And that's not to say that the Portuguese are backward in any way. What I mean is the family values still seem to be really persistent mm -hmm. and we want we just wanted to indulge on that as much as possible yeah so in a good we've way not regretted it yeah it's, mm -hmm. it's totally good mm -hmm. it's all good oh great well yeah louisa thanks so much for for joining me today oh thank you for inviting <laughs> me when i got that invite i was like oh <laughs> yeah it's fun. been a couple of years so let's have a yeah. good chat <laughs> well it's, it's 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 a nice vibe isn't it it's a nice little girly girly chat you know yeah. like <laughs> woman to woman mother to mother um, I really like that. Yeah. Thank you well, for having thank me. You. So listener, we know that you are preparing to move to Portugal. We did everything ourselves for the D7 visa. So we have a DIY D7 course. We also have a DIY remote worker course now since they've split those up. And if you're already here, we have a living in Portugal course for you. Now, the difference between the D7 and the D8 or the Digital Nomad Visa course that you could get is if you have active income, you should be getting the Digital Nomad or D8 course. If you have passive income, you should be getting the D7 course. And we have a special promotion for anybody that is a listener of this podcast. If you type in podcast at checkout, you will get $15 off. So these will just guide you through exactly what you need. They stay up to date as things change. And once you purchase it, it's yours for life. So if you're not ready to go now, you can still get it and take a look and you can use it later on. And Kaylee is a mad lady and she is always updating the course so that it doesn't fall out of date. Well, I have to because they're always changing things and so it has to stay up to date. That's facts. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Let's Move to Portugal. Contact info for all the services mentioned are in the show notes. If you like the show, please subscribe. If you love the show, please tell a friend, connect with us on our socials, and if you want to help us out, give us a review on your podcast player. Expats Everywhere Presents Let's Move to Portugal is produced by Time or Money Productions. Expats Everywhere researches our guests, and we do our best to provide factual and relevant information at the time of the recording. Despite our best efforts, we can make no guarantees as to the accuracy of what you've heard in this episode. We highly recommend that you do your own research and check your own facts. 